Hi everyone and welcome to the Power Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Really great to be with you all. Um, and I'm really delighted to welcome a new guest to the show today. Um, a uh, mental health advocate. Um, does some really great work as a podcast as well. Uh, and does a lot of writing. Um, Brittany Moses, welcome to the show. Hi, James. Thanks so much for having me. I love everything that you're doing, and I'm so honored to be here and that you asked me. Yeah, it's, it's great. I'd love to, I love to talk to people like you who are doing such great advocacy and great work um, regarding mental health and faith as well. Um, and especially right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and you know, people's mental health is being affected like never before, and there will be consequences after this is over as well from people's mental health um people that need to learn need to know how to manage their mental health and it's really really important more than ever so i'm really glad you're here yeah absolutely it's really interesting because this whole situation is kind of in a way forcing people to develop new coping skills and maybe cope in ways that they haven't had to before and mm. it's kind of like these are the coping skills that we've always needed through life, you know, making sure that we're connected to our relationships and, you know, we're taking care of our, our mental health and resting. And I definitely feel like this whole situation has caused us to draw our attention to those, um, to those things that were always important but has made us kind of reprioritize in a way mm. um, for those of us who have had the privilege to do that because I do understand that that's not everybody's situation but most definitely yeah that's right yeah uh, it, I I feel very fortunate to have done a lot of work on on grief and trauma and overcoming all of that um, in the last few years and you know improving my mental health and improving my I suppose I call it mental agility, my ability to move in and out of pain without it controlling me, um, mm. to, yeah, to manage my mental health um, so that it's not controlling me. So uh, coming through a time like this was kind of a test of that, and I had good days and bad days, but right. generally I've been pretty healthy, especially in comparison to other people. So I feel really grateful for, for that. And yeah, my hope is that other people will start to see the value of doing that work and start to do that work. Yeah, the adaptability aspect of it is so important, right? Because it's really the rigidity that gets us in trouble when we have all these expectations of ourselves of how we should be showing up and how we should be performing or producing kind of no matter what. Um, but the truth is that we're human beings. We're not machines. We have to process things, especially when they're really hard and especially when we're experiencing loss, which is what this is in a lot of ways, our, losing our normalcy, our regular sense of life, our... Uh, nor usual connections um, and so having that adaptability I love the way you said that mental agility uh, so that we are remanaging our expectations in a healthy way and saying hey I've never been in a pandemic before <laughs> you know uh, I'm going to have to adjust and find new ways to cope and remanage my routine or even my sleeping habits I know a lot of people's sleep has been off like myself and so that adaptability is so yeah. important to take it day by day and be flexible with how you show up and with how you're processing through it and every day might not look the same and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and it is. It's, it's grief, isn't it? It's, it's like we're losing a lot of things. You know, it's, and whenever you lose something, there's a grieving. You know, and 
Um, and, you know, if you lose the, the routine that you've had, we can get so attached to our routines. We don't realise it. We get used to, like, even I noticed it, because I, I, I commute to work normally, um, and I stopped doing that, you know, and I got used to my routine, and then when I don't have it, it's discomforting for a while. Uh, and, yeah, there's, we're all having to adapt to new things and let go of old things and face the reality that everything has changed and the things won't go back to how they were before. Uh, it won't be exactly the same. And there's a grieving yeah. that goes on, you know, because it is, it's a loss of something um, and it's something significant. Absolutely. And, you know, as human beings, routine is so important for us. It, you know, being able to have an expectation of like what to expect day to day is a part of our sense of security and our sense of safety. So routines definitely do serve a purpose for us, um, you know, in, in showing up and, and even mastering the current skills that we're going, we have in our lives and continuing them each day. But it's totally a loss. A lot of times people have a hard time recognizing what a loss is, you know, and then often with loss, you do still have to go through some of those stages. Um, and so mm. a lot of us are going through the stages in different ways, depending on our different circumstances. But I'm the same as you. Like I have a crazy commute in Los Angeles uh, to UCLA and I'm a person that does enjoy seeing my friends regularly and, I'm a, I am a, I wouldn't say I'm a rigid person or type A, so to speak, but I would say that I definitely uh, am a person of like routine, right, um, in the day to day. So it, it threw me for a loop. And what's tough is that a lot of us have tied our self-worth to what we produce and how we produce. And so mm. I think a lot of us had to deal with just that self-esteem aspect and that self-worth aspect that we were tying to our doing instead of are just our being, you know? Um, yeah. And so when we weren't showing up the way we needed to or wanted to or expected to, um, there was a lot of, a lot of times we attrib attribute those to ourselves, mm. you know, um, like what's wrong with me or, and then we're comparing on social media and we see other people doing all these Instagram lives or still producing work and seeming like they're on a roll and, you're just like, yeah. meanwhile, you're just in this headspace of fog where you're just like, I don't, I just, I can't do anything right now. I just, I'm going to turn on some Netflix and <laughs> yeah, know, it's like, it's, it's totally okay. Really. You will survive it. You will manage and it will not be the demise of you. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The number of people I've seen doing, being so productive right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's like I, I just can't do that you know i i journal every day i do a bit of writing obviously i'm, I'm still recording podcasts so yeah, i'm being quite productive okay. in that sense but i, I mean uh, writing for me is like um it's like laying my soul out on on paper you know and so it's difficult mm. to do that right now and some people are finding it difficult and some people have felt i felt a bit um almost shamed for not being productive yeah and that's really unhelpful when people do that because not everyone can be productive right now you know we're all different people we all have all different personality types you know ultimately uh we're all we all you know we all have different needs we all work differently 
And some of us can be productive right now, and that's helpful for us. Some of us can't be productive right now, and that's okay. Yeah, and I'm definitely a type of person that likes to sit back and look at everything before I mm. put myself out there. So I know that when all of this started for me, I had a ton of people. Knowing that I do the whole mental health advocacy and work around that, a ton of people messaging me like to talk about it. Like, oh, can you come on this live with me or can you come on this with me and talk about it and talk about what's going on and talk about mental health? And I'm like, first of all, I'm still man, I'm still processing my own mental health. And second of all, I still need to gather more insight on exactly what's going on from reputable sources and, you know, even what's being um, what's being said just in the mental health world world in general about what we should be doing in this time, like kind of what the consensus is uh, before just putting myself out there. So I needed to take time to step back and reflect and regather and settle myself before doing anything. And I've just gotten to a place in my life where I give myself total permission to do that, to pay attention to my body, to pay attention to my state and of mind and give it the care that it needs before doing anything. Yeah. That's that's really really important for everybody. In fact, I think to just take care of ourselves, you know, to love ourselves, you know, we, yeah, give ourselves grace because we're going to be a bit of a mess right now, and that's okay. We don't have to have it all together right now, uh, and you know, we're allowed to be human, um, which is one of the things I keep saying. You know, it's okay to be human. <laughs> Um, yeah Um, so tell us a bit about your work and kind of the story your story of moving into that yeah oh man I'm always like where do I start with this (laughs) Um, yeah so I uh, first of all I'm I'm um, my name is Brittany and I study psychology at UCLA I have a 10 year old son I have a whole 10 year old Oh my gosh. And for us right now, recording Mother's Day is coming up Sunday and I still am having a hard time like attributing that to myself. Like, yeah, I, I've been doing this for 10 years. This still applies for me. <laughs> um, wow. But I, yeah, so I, I, I guess I would say I was raised in the church. You know, I was very much a church kid. My parents served in youth and young adult ministry when I was coming up. Um, and then our family ended up taking a split when I was younger and I kind of ended up falling away from my face, kind of doing my own thing. Um, eventually around my late teens, I came back to my face. I had my son at that time. I had him very young. I had him at 18 and, um, was in a relationship, uh, marriage very young. Uh, and around that time I came back to church and, Honestly, when I went back, it was more so for my son because I was convinced. I'm like, if there is a hell, I'm definitely probably going to end up there (laughs) because I just can't do anything right. And I stay and do all the wrong things. And I just have no, like, self-discipline, you know. Yeah. Um, And so, so, but I was like, you know what, but I just remember having that that foundation of faith in my life as a kid and it really actually being a, a guide for me as a kid of like just right and wrong and you know just that accountability of God being with me and whatnot yeah. and it was just such a healthy thing for me 
as a child and such a strong foundation for me. So, yeah, I kind of wanted to bring my son to church. But as I was there, really just the pastor at the time just really gave this message that I didn't know I needed. And it was about scandalous grace and just about how the whole idea of how you don't have to be perfect to come to God and have it all right, which is what I thought. You know, like, I'm never going to get right to be able to walk with God, you know, Um, and just reframing my idea of religion, I guess I would say, because I was very much thinking, like, very religiously versus, like, no, there's a sanctification process where you just come to God as you are, you walk with him, you grow with him, and he... And, and he, you evolve, you know, he, he transforms you from the inside out along the way. And also just needing community at the time as a new mom, I think. Mm. So ended up going back to church and uh, really enjoy, I was at a church that was just really vibrant. Um, a lot of young families, very diverse um, and just very alive, mm. loving, colorful, just thriving church. And I really wanted to be a part of that. So I ended up getting baptized and serving a lot in kids' ministry, uh, and that was really fun for a while. I think I was at church like three times a week just volunteering. Um, Really loved that and was really on fire for my faith at the time. And then uh, I actually started a nonprofit for youth and young adults called Unashamed Impact, and it was revolved around basically like fellowship, um, Bible studies, and also doing a lot of community outreach. And it ended up becoming kind of an international nonprofit where we had chapters around the world, from Kenya to the Dominican Republic and across the United States. And so that kind of took off in a way that I didn't expect in my early 20s. But as I was, you know, dealing with this nonprofit and coming into contact with a lot of youth and young adults, and I was also actually serving in church with youth and young adults at that time, there were so many uh, mental health crises that were coming up. Mm. Um, A lot of suicidality, um, a lot of just, yeah, even addiction and just like insecurity and, uh, but some really hardcore stuff and that I didn't expect. Not that I was immune to it because I had my own mental struggle growing up as a teenager. I definitely had struggled with suicidal thoughts at one point. Um, I'm not sure if I so much wanted to end my life, but I think I definitely couldn't see a way out of my situation and the pain that I was in and that I was carrying. And so um, I had thought about it. And so I was Mm. aware. I was very much aware of that um, feeling of what that feels like. But um, but yeah, so I, I encountered a lot of that in the church and I was starting to have these light bulb moments that, wow, like we, we didn't really have, at least at the time or where I was at, we didn't really have the resources or holistic understanding of what was going on. Um, mm. and that, that felt like a big gap for me. And this really became apparent one day when I was serving at church and the lead pastor came to me and told me that, you know, there was a teen in the youth group and his parents came to him. The mom was distressed and the dad, the dad was frustrated because their son was having suicidal thoughts. And this time they found a gun in his room and they didn't know what to do. And 
he basically kind of passed them along to me and was like, can you talk to them? And I'm like, oh, okay. I had no formal training. You know, I had not gone back to the school yet for um, psychology and mental health and all of that. And Mm. so I would literally just sit with these families and pray with them and talk with them and just be supportive and try to be as resourceful as I could. And from then on, I remember just researching and reading so many books about ministry and mental health and psychology. I mean, as if it was, as if I was in school, (laughs) just um, really passionate about trying to figure out what this missing piece was, uh, which eventually did lead Mm -hmm. me to going back to school. And I did a lot of writing on my blog at the time, and that started taking off as I was kind of sorting through some of these questions at the intersection of faith and mental health. And um, going on to do more advocacy work, I, uh, more in recent years, became a recovery support group facilitator for NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness here in the U.S. And, yeah, I've just been continuing my academic journey uh, in, at UCLA and research assisting at uh, UCLA's Semmel Institute um, for Neuroscience and Human Behavior. And that's been really enlightening and enriching. So I'm just, I'm continuing to approach people and the world with curiosity and try to bridge these gaps as much as I can and also take the information that's out there in the academic world and the research that is evidence-based and communicate it in a way that's accessible to the everyday person and especially those in the church where there might be some stigma or misunderstanding even though the church is one of the main places that people go to when they're in psychological distress, I think it's so important for us to be equipped with that information. It absolutely is. Yeah, um, it absolutely is. And what a story. Um, that's incredible. Um, wow, you packed a lot. Packed a lot in. That's yeah, really... I'm, trying, I'm trying to get better and better at like packing this together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um yeah, um, and it's it's just so great that um, that we have more people who are kind of working at this intersection of of mental health and and, and Christian faith because I agree. Uh, because uh, you know, like you're saying before there's been so much stigma in the church um, and outside the church to be honest uh, yeah <laughs> around mental health and also just. Just some ignorance as well, I think, and like as in people not because people wanted to, didn't not because people intended to be ill-informed, but just because people just didn't do the research because some people don't. Um, it didn't used to be kind of uh, a topic that people talked about as much. Um, certainly, like I grew up in the church twenty years ago, and it wasn't talked about that much. Mental health was not talked about generally. Mental illness wasn't talked about that much um and it's got a lot better now people are talking about it in church and uh, people are you know i'm i've had a lot of people on the show who've shared stories of things that their church are doing and there's organizations that are springing up who are providing therapists for churches um, and providing mental health training for um pastors and working with pastors um because there's a obviously an acknowledgement that pastors are not 
they're not mental health specialists and they can't carry all of that by themselves and they don't have the expertise or the training to um, and so yeah there has to be a better intersection between between both yeah I completely agree and I'm so glad to hear like again just speaking to both sides like yeah there is stigma but yeah I, I definitely do also see strides being made and that's really encouraging yeah. and if you've been in church or close to the, the pastoral staff in any form or fashion, you know that that that's who people go to for, I mean, so many of their crises. And um, and you and the pastors are counseling a lot of people, I mean, heavily a lot of times where they're the only ones. And so um, I think even just, not making them, not having to put the pressure on them to be the expert of all things and creating those resources around the church and around, um, and around pastors and their staff is, is going to be so helpful and so healthy because, uh, you know, there's a research that shows that for over 20 years, people under psychological distress will go to their clergy or they'll go to their, you know, pastor before they'll ever step foot to a mental health professional. And it makes a lot of sense. I always say that makes total sense because, first of all, you don't have to navigate the mental health system, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's yeah. very easy systematically to access. Um, it's free in many cases. Um, and it does provide relief and support, especially from your worldview, which is all very important. So it's understandable. But uh, the great thing is, like you said, we do have more people at the intersection of faith and mental health who are, who are uh, passionate about bridging that gap. And I believe that uh, we can continue to make progress. But like you're saying, at the world at large, though, I feel like the conversation is just opening up more. Now that we have more uh, understanding, I think more technological research, like we can see the brain now, you know, mm. years ago and decades ago, uh, you couldn't do that. But the church has always been a place of soul care. Uh, the church has always been at the foundation of soul care and community care. And that's why, to me, it just makes so much sense um, to be merging the two. You look back at, say, I want to say around like medieval times-ish, uh, where the monasteries, because there was no institutionalized health care system, the monasteries were turned into basically hospitals, you know, uh, where people were cared for, both physically and psychologically. Now, the practices at that time were questionable, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you know, based yeah. on the amount of knowledge that we had, but the church was always this place of, of care, so, and kind of continues to be for the community, so it makes sense that we should have a, a more a profound understanding about what's going on so that we can care for those who do come in from the community. That's, that's absolutely right yeah i mean the church has a very very important role um that's really important to emphasize um because yeah. it's easy to have a go at the church and criticize the church and whatever you know and um i've had people who've who on the show who've um, had spiritual abuse and been treated poorly by the church i've i've experienced that too uh, i also know there are good churches out there and there are churches that are doing good work in this area as well and uh, I know that there are pastors who are doing good work in this area. I know that there are people training to be pastors who are passionate about creating trauma-informed churches, like communities which are 
spiritual communities which are trauma-informed and where mm. yeah, where everything where people are aware uh, and understand what's happening and where they can get that support. Um, and it is possible to, to get that balance because and people can get the pastoral support they need from the church, which the church can provide, and then they can get the mental health support they need from mental health professionals, which is absolutely the right way to deal with you know, with any kind of mental illness to, to get professional support. Um, it's totally. really important. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if, you know, your, you know, church leader or say someone on staff isn't specifically trained in, you know, mental health practices, um, in many ways the church can still be a supportive factor and a protective factor as far as your social health goes. Um, in that community role, and like you just said, James, um, I've I've also I've also been on the other side where it's like I've experienced spiritual abuse, but I've also experienced very healthy and vibrant churches that changed my life mm. um, for the better, for good. <laughs> um, yeah. So, just like any institution, you know, not all bad, but of course, human beings are flawed, so it can happen. But I think the important part is just being self-aware and recognizing so you can align yourself with a, with a healthy church um, and not being afraid to do so when you see something that's not going right, that's not aligning. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the social side is a very supportive factor, you know, in the community and um, having a family-oriented church. Uh, so just like you wouldn't see your pastor for like a broken leg or heart disease, you know, um, mental health, your brain is still an organ, and there are many biological factors that underlie mental health that often need to be assessed for. And so it is definitely a safe bet to see a clinician to assess for those things to make sure that you're getting the holistic care that you need so that all of those needs are being addressed and met so that you can live a fully functioning and vibrant life um, in spite of what might be you know, going on, or like you said, trauma-informed, that's very specific. It's very important to get trauma-informed care for things like PTSD or something that's trauma-related because that's very psychosomatic where it's not just in your mind, but it's also, it can also dysregulate your nervous system in many ways. And so it's important to have specific care for that. You know, Um, we, when it comes to any other part of our health or or our life, we go to specific people who deal with certain specialties, you know, and it's the same with our minds. So uh, it's definitely a safe thing to make sure you're getting properly assessed. Yes, it is. It's really, really important. And I recommend it to everybody who's got questions about their mental health, um, who's facing these challenges. It's really important to get professional support. And professional support and community you know that's the two things that are really important you know and the, the church can provide the community and the support network and people who can stand with you like a healthy church which is mentally health aware and doing good things regarding mental health will do that uh and uh and i've had experience of that i've had experience of a church where that happened you know where i got support with um with you know anxiety and um, processing grief and that kind of thing um, and so it can happen you know we just need to 
we just need to keep getting better at it and be vigilant about it and find ways that we can keep um, challenging the church to improve and to you know and to and to make your church a safe space for mental illness totally and from my understanding with a lot of the those who are, who are in the church serving or in pastoral leadership that I know a lot of them are very eager to do so um, and so I do find a lot of hope in that that's great that's really great um, yeah it is it isn't all bad there are some positive things happening um, it just takes time <laughs> sadly yeah um, <laughs> it's not fast enough for me but um, yeah <laughs> so what's I mean like what's your experience of what a, a a spiritual community church that deals well with mental health and people who in this community who are struggling with mental health yeah, I definitely think that those the churches that are doing this really well are, one, they're partnering with mental health professionals, um, whether that be in their congregation, because you'd be surprised how many people in your congregation already have that training and are, yeah. say, social workers or therapists. Like, there, from my experience, like, there's been a number of people who are already there in your congregation who can help work with this and speak to this. Um, so partnering with those and even just like having them come, having them come and share or having them come and share with your staff or, you know, having them as a referral, right? So they have resources and they're equipped with those resources for those who, who deeply need it, right? Yeah. Um, when it, when it comes to mental health resources. So I think that's really great. I think, I think pastoral leaders who are just very transparent and very open and very vulnerable and don't idolize themselves. I'm just going to be very bluntly here um, and yeah. are very open to the, just the theology of that we are human beings and that we are imperfect and that we live in a fallen world with, you know, even just imperfect bodies and things can go wrong and no yeah. one is, um, no one is immune from life challenges happening, including mental illness. I think just the whole theology around illness, right? Yeah. And um, and grace for that and growth for that and not tying those things to people's character, uh, but realizing, but seeing it as a health mm. issue. I think maybe just yes. we can maybe expand in our theology around health. You know, um, there's something called the just world hypothesis, and that's basically this idea that when bad things happen to people, we are quick to attribute it to something they did or their character. And instead of the situational things or the things that were outside of their control, like we do that more so with ourselves if we're in that position. But when it's other people, this is also called a fundamental attribution error. When it's other people, we attribute things to their character and their choices. And the reason that the psychology behind the reason that we do that is because it's a protective factor for us. We believe that if people, if bad things are happening to people because of things they did, then all we have to do is not do those things and it won't happen to us, right? Just don't mm. be like this and don't do those things and it won't happen to us. Um, and it's protective for us because it makes us feel more in control. But as you you and I know, James, that that's just not life. You can Absolutely. be a great person and do all the right things and love God with your heart, mind, and soul, and bad things can still happen. 
you know, you can still get struck with illness or you can get in a situational circumstance, maybe based on other people's choices that, um, that lead you there. And so I think that just understanding that, right, um, and not making that attribution error um, yeah. and really just seeing people as, as people as a whole, um, especially when it comes to mental health issues. Um, so that, that's a big one. And I also think I love the churches that um, are able to, and I, and I recognize that not every church is able to. It depends on the size of the church and the resources and the funds. Yeah. But having, um, having support groups, you know, I think, I, I mean, I think that's so huge, like having the Celebrate Recovery support groups or the grief support groups or the divorce support groups, um, those types of things where you are able, where you're bringing people together based on shared experiences to walk through life with. Um, having those types of groups are so important. And I understand that it does take tasking that and someone has to oversee and organize those things. So it's like, Brittany, it's not that easy. Like I 100% get that. I've been in the church and served and served with leadership. So I understand. But I think even just um, having that in mind or having at least even a plan for it or a heart for it, um, because chances are there are people in your pews who are deeply struggling you know, every Sunday and they need a space and a safe space. And why not it be our churches where we are meant to be the safe space for the body and for others who come into the church, you know? Yeah. So I think those are all really healthy qualities, just the vulnerability, the authenticity, having a healthy theology around um, illness and, and health and how things go wrong and not attributing it to people's character so quickly um, and creating safe spaces for people to come together around their pain to walk through that together and create that social support, which is so life-changing. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with all of that. Uh, and I find it fascinating that it's, it comes back to naming the thing. Yeah, it's that's so good. It's yeah. so, so obvious about naming the thing. I talk about this a lot on the podcast about how when we name our grief and our trauma that we that is when we can start to take power over it and when we can start to do the work of healing and, and transformation um and it's it's so interesting that when you when you talked about churches just kind of naming this thing like and being honest about it um and that authenticity about this is mental illness and uh, this is not a character defect um and saying we we can't we can't do this on our own we need you know you you will need professional support we will help you find that maybe we will help you we will help provide that um that professional support for you and we will provide community to support you as you do that that's what that's what it should that's what it should be and it starts with naming it again it just it always seems to come back to that yeah, and I'm so glad that you said that because just the other day I saw, I think it was Lecrae. Are you familiar with the Christian hip-hop artist Lecrae? I've heard, I've heard. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he posted something the other day on Twitter and it was something about how, like, I struggle with anxiety and depression, but God keeps me kind of thing. Don't quote me. It was something along those lines. And I was just scrolling. Whenever people make, like, public statements about mental health like that, especially in the Christian world, I just started scrolling through the comments 
just to see how people are conceptualizing it, you know, um, in the perspective that people are taking. And I can't tell you how many times I saw comments that were kind of like, well, don't claim that over yourself, right? Because there's this whole theology of life and death are in the tongue, right? And so when you're claiming that over yourself, like, you're, you know, I don't know, like putting that spirit on you or something. And, um, you know, and I get it, like, you want to speak on like where you're going and things like that. But I also think it's, it, it's, it's flawed in a way because you cannot fight a giant you don't know and can't see, you know? And I do believe that just naming it is not about uh, defining a person with it, right? Yeah. Like we're not defined by Absolutely. these labels, but it, it helps give us, basically it helps us operationalize what it is. Right. Otherwise, it's just all abstract. But taking the, the name depression, taking anxiety, taking bipolar, BPD, PTSD, trauma, whatever that is, it's naming it that allows us to operationalize, okay, what symptoms come with this? And now that I know the symptoms that come with this, I can now think about what kind of treatment or help or talk therapy or whatnot will work for this. And I can prepare myself to be proactive instead of reactive and preventative and protective against these factors and against these symptoms, knowing that there's a tendency or knowing that this happens for me. And so it gives us that clarity to be able to combat it. And you can't have that if you're not aware of what the giant is, you know, what it is um, that you're fighting against. So I, so you know, I don't really, I just don't agree at all with this spiritual bypassing of people's issues and what's going on. It's like, no, we're not claiming it to define ourselves, but we are understanding what it is that we're dealing with so that we know how to prepare ourselves for battle so that we can protect and prevent ourselves from going to feel harshly and not going blind. That's absolutely right. Yeah, it's not about creating a label. Absolutely, that is a that is a danger when you do it. But but you have to. But it's a, it's a very clear distinction between between naming something for what it is, so that you can start to treat it, as it were. Um, like when you get diagnosed with an illness, you name one that you get a diagnosis, so you can treat it. You know, <laughs> like when you get right. if, you know if you get if you've got if you've got COVID. You need to get diagnosed, and then they can treat you. Um, now, this is obviously not the same. I'm not. I'm not saying it's the same at all. And um, but when you name something, then you can take power over it, and you can start to deal with it for what it is. And that doesn't. It doesn't mean you have to label yourself with with it. It just means that ah, this is what it is. I know what I need to do now to to deal with it, to get treatment, to get support, to you know get professional support. That's that that's really really important to do yeah and it's not i am depression but i'm dealing with depression i it's not i am anxiety you're dealing with anxiety it's not you are bipolar you're dealing with bipolar you know what i mean just separating the two it's not your identity it's something that you're dealing with and there are so many other parts of you you know and i always try to advocate that especially for someone who has a diagnosis it's like okay, that's one part of the puzzle that you're dealing with, but there are so many other things that you are in life. You know, you're a daughter, you're a wife, you're a husband, you're a brother, you're a friend, you're, you know, doing whatever you're doing in your 
field, your career, what you're passionate about. You're artistic, you're creative, you're adaptable. There's so many other things that you are. There's just no reason to take this one label and extend it over your whole life. Because right. um, it is not the whole of you. And I think those who are acknowledging it, you don't have to make it the whole of a person. It's just part of, it's a part of your life that you're dealing with. And you will, because we, I believe we're more resilient than we think we are. Absolutely, yeah, I agree with that. I've spoken to so many people um, on this podcast who have said the same. I think that we're more resilient than we think we are, uh, you know. And uh, it's it's really important to remember that. And I didn't I, I didn't learn that until recently myself. But mm. when you when you realise it, it's like oh yeah, you know, actually I can get through this and I'm still here, you know. Um, Right. And that's a really empowering thing to, to learn. Um, so, yeah, absolutely would reinforce that. You're more resilient than you realize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, every time you thought you couldn't go on, you did. And it's obvious that evidence is 100% true because you're here. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, absolutely. You're still here. So it didn't beat you. It didn't kill you. <laughs> Amen. Um, and amen. Yeah. Praise God when you don't look like what you've been through. When, when you're just like, people have no idea. <laughs> you know, yeah, people right. have no idea yeah. what I've been through or where I've been. And praise God that you're you're on your two feet, or, you know, um, your head's on straight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, brilliant. Oh, fantastic. So, okay, so just to, like, to kind of finish off, like, what would your... What, what what would be the biggest bit of advice you would give to people who right now are kind of processing a lot of a lot of maybe grief or, or trauma relating to what's happening right now? Or even who are not it's even if it's not related to what's happening right now, but are having to process it within the context of what's happening right now. What kind of what what, what would be your advice, word of wisdom? Yeah. I mean I'll, I'll, I'll share from, you know, even just for myself. And when I'm saying things, I'm like saying it to myself too, you know, uh, I think that some of us may be pressuring ourselves to think, man, I should have been kind of like over this or past this or doing better by now. Like I've known, we've known about this for a couple of weeks now, for a few weeks now, a month, you know, we've been in it for a while. I should be up on my feet and doing better by now. And the truth is that we are still treading through unknown waters. And there is still a lot of unknowns about what the world is going to look like going forward. We're not totally on the other side yet. So it would make sense to still be processing and still be grieving and still be, you know, going through a healing or recovery process. And so, you know, I think my biggest advice is I'm just a big advocate of small steps. You know, um, mm. I think sometimes we, we tend to want this kind of big life-changing advice that we romanticize that's going to turn things yeah. around. <laughs> but I really think that these things happen in very small steps and, um, and taking things one day at a time and have, having grace for yourself and how you show up. And um, I think, I think for me, even for me, like a big one is set one or two big priorities for your day. Because I do, I do believe that there's a balance where, yes, you should rest and have grace for yourself, but also you do want to kind of be doing something 
that's going to push you forward. You know, even mm-hmm. if it's like one thing, because we kind of need that that self-efficacy, so to speak. We kind of need that. Um, we kind of need that for ourselves, yeah. uh, you know, for self-fulfillment. So even if it's one thing, you're just like, you know what? If I get this one thing done today, I'm satisfied, you know, be okay with having that one thing or those two things. And if everything else kind of falls to the wayside, just reorganizing to doing it the next day or the next week and saying it's enough, you know, and being willing to start over again tomorrow, you know, um, during this time, I would, I would definitely advocate to, to try to get in some form of social support, whether it is making that phone call or that video chat. I understand that when you're isolated or when you're in pain even, um, the last thing you want to do is the thing that you need to do, which is to talk to someone. <laughs> it's very paradoxical like when you're stuck in that place. Uh, you, being isolated just makes you want to be more isolated and not talk to people. But you almost kind of have to break that by moving past what you feel and um, reaching out to someone and catching up or letting them know how you really feel. And you'll find that um, you'll be a lot of times you'll find a lot of relief on the other side that you did. Um, And even if you feel like you have no one to talk to, there are crisis text line. I know I'm a crisis counselor on one of the hotlines um, that are people who are very empathetic and very trained to just hear you out and just sit with you, right? And not to necessarily come up with a bunch of answers, but just give you the space to be heard in a non-judgmental way. So those those hotlines or text lines are really, really great. Um, I do think it's important to get outside and get some sun in some kind of way, uh, to just breathe some fresh air and try to get some good sleep. I, you know, I'm guilty for this. I'm not, I haven't been, you know, super consistent at this, but at least trying to, because our sleep is such a restorative period. And when we don't get enough, it does keep our brain kind of on edge and fuels the cycle. Mm. So, um, trying to, trying to resist, you know, the next episode on Netflix. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, not mean, easy. Now, now this is the part where I'm talking to myself, right? Because, um, I mean, it just goes so fast. I feel like, you know, you got five seconds and by then it's already started. Um, I know, right? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe have a different nighttime routine. Like I started just like reading a book instead or something like that. Um, so just, just kind of taking care of your basic needs. We think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how the basic needs kind of need to be met first in order for us to graduate to kind of the feelings of security and self-actualization. It's kind of hard to get there when your basic needs aren't being met. So taking care of those um, and just taking care of yourself, just take care of yourself (laughs) and recognize that this is a season where you just might need to take a little bit more care of yourself than you usually do. And that's fine. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Great advice. This has been a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, lots of great stuff coming out, lots of great insights and wisdom. I'm really grateful for you coming on, really. Thanks. I'm really grateful that I'm here <laughs> um, and that I've made a new friend all the way on the other side of a. Uh of the sea that's right (laughs) yeah that's right well across america and then the sea you know it's like in la um (laughs) um and where can people find your work 
Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty much all over social media. So I'm on Instagram at Brittany Moses. That's B R I T T N E Y M O S E S, and I'm on Twitter Brittany underscore Moses. And um, there's my website BrittanyMoses.com, which pretty much redirects to everything. So that's great, and I'd love to uh, meet you guys and connect and love to hear what you thought about this episode or any thoughts or questions. And I always love making new friends. Great. Yeah, and do give do feedback. Um, yeah, remember we have a Facebook group as well for the podcast, um, Pama Podcast, continuing the conversation. So you can leave questions there, or just go to Twitter and tweet Brittany um, and ask her, and that'd be fantastic. So yeah, thank you, Brittany, and um, thanks for listening, everybody.